Welcome to the Fallon Forum today, folks. This is uh, Ed Fallon, your host. We're broadcasting from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. A uh, quick shout out to a couple of our local business partners here in the Des Moines metro. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. Uh, that is my grocery store. And they've got takeout, folks. So you can still enjoy their breakfast, lunch, and supper menu seven days a week. Thanks also to Noche Jazz and Cabaret, located on Walnut Street. Again, closed for formal recitals, concerts, uh, whatnot, but uh, you can catch, uh, catch concerts twice a week, Wednesdays and Saturdays, live stream. That's Noche. All right, welcome to today's program. Later in the show, uh, uh, Kathy Burns and I will be discussing what's eating you, our little uh, garden component. We'll also be talking about, um, uh, we'll, we'll have an interesting dialogue in our climate change conversation about uh, new inventions that are going to supplant uh, the infamous leaf blower. We'll also talk about how Oregon Republicans seem to have gone off the deep end, maybe, and nominated a conspiracy cult follower to challenge Senator Jeff Merkley. Uh, but first, uh, we're going to take a look at what's been happening with the George, uh, George Floyd protest. Uh, with me in the studio is uh, Kathy Burns, and with us on the phone is uh, Dr. Charles Goldman. Hello, Charles. Welcome. Yeah, it's good to, it's good to talk to you and Kathy. It's been a couple weeks here. It has been, and you've been uh, you've been busy. Uh, yes, we have. Uh, we're we're seeing more and more patients that we would normally see in the hospital. You know, the COVID patients, at least for the moment, are taking up a smaller proportion of the patients in the hospital. Uh, who knows where it's going to go from here, given the uh, social distancing we've not been seeing uh, right. over the last couple of weeks, and of course, in, in relationship to the protests, uh, obviously. For the most part, you're not seeing much social distancing. Yeah, now Kathy and I were at the uh, protest and, well, we went to the vigil. Uh, there was a, I mean, for, for folks outside the um, the Iowa listening area, a thousand people at anything in Iowa is a big deal. <laughs> and we had a thousand, <laughs> we had a thousand people at a vigil in Union Park. And uh, again, really good, good event. Um, no police in sight there. And then, um, Kathy and I asked uh, Representative Akeo Abdul-Samad how we could be helpful. And he said, come down to the police station at 8.15 tonight. Mm -hmm. And so we did. And that was interesting because um, we hadn't been able to go to any of the, the events so far. We, we decided, well, the, the vigil's happening. We can make it. We're going to go. We're going to be supportive. And we're going right home afterwards. We didn't even know there was a curfew enacted in Polk County at that time. But our, our plan was to go and go home and not, you know, uh, contribute to some of the some of the negativity that we've seen going on after the formal protests have been over. And it was a pretty, uh, it, was, it was a lot. I mean, I, anger is totally justified. There, there's absolutely no criticism of anybody who is angry, upset, bitter. Uh, you, you have a right to be in terms of not just this incident, but the entire history of race relations in this country. Uh, yeah, even though we've elected a, a black president, we've still got so many systemic problems that aren't being addressed. So I get that. Uh, and we saw some of that. There, there was a lot of anger. Uh, there were chants of F the cops um, going up. I mean, and there was the, there had to be close to 50 Polk County Sheriff and Des Moines Police Department officers in riot gear across from us, in riot gear with sticks, with mace. And this was at the police station downtown. Yeah. And the crowd was, was not happy. And so a handful of us, uh, Kathy and I and a couple um, Latino ministers, 
we went across the street and, and in our own different ways, we tried to talk with the police officers and suggested that uh, taking a knee with the protesters would help diffuse the, um, the, uh, the anxiety, the anger, just, just bring it down a notch. And um, they weren't willing to do that at first. Uh, and then, and, and two of them, whoever standing over by where Kathy was, uh, did. It, it, was a, it was an interesting show of uh, compassion, too, because it wasn't solely about diffusing what the protesters were, were there to express. It was also about showing humanity and, and um, having that be just, just a, a connection and a beginning of what, what we hope is a further conversation. Right. And that's the most important what, reason, yeah. What were, the, what were the, you know, demographics of the two crowds? You know, the crowd up at doing the vigil versus the crowd that was in front of the police station. I would say half uh, half uh, African-American, half white, well, not exactly, and then and just uh, others, all kinds of other people. But um, it was, uh, it seemed pretty well balanced to me, but that means, of course, Per capita, there's more representation from the black community. I'd say the uh, the crowd downtown at the police station, which was smaller, maybe 150, 200 people, was mm -hmm. uh, was largely young. Not not entirely, but it was younger than the crowd at the uh, vigil. Yeah, I mean that's been that's been my impression when you know I've been watching on. You can't get away from it. Before you couldn't get away from them talking about COVID. Now you can't get away from them showing you you know various cities having you know various forms of rioting or whatever mm -hmm. and. Um, it, it seems as though the most of the confrontations occur at night after a day in which the sort of multi-generational, multi-racial uh, protesters have completed their work. And then the, what happens at night seems simply uh, inchoate. It, just, it doesn't, it's, it's not, it, I, it, oddly enough, I watched a show last night on the 19, uh, on the riots after the uh, Rodney King decision mm -hmm. um, in Los Angeles. And it, it was exactly the same, you know, in the sense of that the, most of the destruction, most of the looting was done within the neighborhoods of where the predominant, you know, predominantly black and Latino population uh, lived in L.A. Um, and that you had, you know, people there of various... Uh, you know, racial affiliations who own those businesses who, that's all they had, you know, and, and they were trying to make their way up and here these people just came and, you know, burned them out you know, and looted them. And so I, I, I'm always left with, we've seen this before, violence of that type generally does not move the, uh, you know, the structure of our society. And all it does is play into the hands of Trump, who's getting, in spite of his disappearing act over the weekend, is you know today he's talking about the governors are too weak. He'd be much tougher. Of course, he hasn't he hasn't done anything. To, yeah. You know. Well, there was the, the there, there was that phone but, yeah the phone call that was intercepted by the New York Times. Yeah, that turned uh, out to be that basically he didn't <laughs> even let his the family talk. It was all him talking to them, and he, he appeared distracted because it was much more important. He watched the launch of the. You know, SpaceX rocket. Yeah, um, but 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 he, but he says to the governors, "quote If you don't dominate, oh. you're wasting your time. You've got to. You're going to. They're, they're going to run over you. You're going to look at. You're going to look like a bunch of jerks. 
You have to arrest people and you have to try people and they have to go to jail for long periods of time. I mean, it's, it's a total, total non-understanding of the situation completely. And Charles, that's where I see there was, I think there was a difference in what was happening, not just in Des Moines last night, and it didn't happen everywhere in Des Moines, but uh, added just before we got uh, uh, in the, into the scene at the police station last night, Ed had gotten a text from his daughter in Portland showing that the police there had chosen to, to present a symbol of compassion and take a knee with the protesters, and it it's helped to diffuse the, the potential violence, and it also started a conversation, and that's what happened indeed last night downtown here, and I just don't know if that's happened in, in the past before, so I see that as maybe a difference. Well, it was interesting to me that, that uh, the, there was initially a black police officer and a Latino police officer responded. They put their right hand up in the air, clenched, mm -hmm. clenched fist, and then they knelt and they prayed. And, that, and then they were done, they, they moved on. And then uh, one of the Latino ministers was getting very animated about trying to get the police to, to, calm, to, 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 you know, to express some empathy, to show some connection with the humanity of, you know, of, of, the, of the core of this, uh, of this, um, this protest. And, uh, and finally, we got a hold of the officer in charge, and he was convinced that it was a good idea the protesters across the street agreed. Yeah, we'll we'll you know we'll, we'll consider that a, a real step forward, and then it happened. I mean, nearly 50 police officers knelt for I think about two minutes. The the mm -hmm. one person in the crowd who didn't want that to happen that we were very aware of. There was one young fella at least who had a bullhorn, and he was trying to chant and dissuade people from being peaceful and staying peaceful. He was the one, when we were all ready to leave, he was saying into his bullhorn, they don't tell us when to leave, we decide when to leave. And, and he seemed to visibly be trying to rile people back up, but it was unsuccessful, which is fortunate. Yeah, well, I think that's, that has become the problem. And, you know, there's, everyone's going back to 1968, 69, you know, with the, the rioting in, in the United States over Vietnam, the civil rights movement. but. It, the, the social media aspect of this, I mean, you watch what's going on and everybody's, you know, filming what they're doing, um, preening for the camera, and and I, I do agree that there are clearly some people for it's just a testosterone thing. They want a confrontation with the police, which has nothing to do with the issue at hand. And, and I think we also need to clarify, you know, white people seem to think this doesn't happen to white people. Um, and this was a white male, by the way, who was trying no, to instigate well, what I'm saying, though, is, What I'm saying is, is that the, the examples of, that of, of, of police brutality and police violence that are put forth have you know, been uniformly African-Americans. But there, there's a problem with just the attitude of policing in the United States as it is. I mean, you know, as I think I told Ed yesterday, there is, you know, there, there is a police-associated death in the United States like every three hours. Wow. You know? versus, uh, and, versus European countries. Uh, yeah, and versus like double digit all year in European countries. Wow. You know, so. But you know. It, it, it is a different notion of policing. But there, there and, is. There, and part of what happens is, is that the police are driven into a position of it's us against them and it, everybody else is them. 
Right. Um, And there's no question that the overreaction in specific cases is about it being a a Latino or a African-American. But but, but, But there's an overreaction of violence in our country. Okay, so Charles, the the, the part of the problem here is that there is systemic racism that excludes black Americans from housing, from jobs, uh, from, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, you, I mean, look at this guy, Chris Cooper, who filmed the woman abusing her dog, essentially, in Central Park. He says, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he, he, he gets, he gets stared at when he goes into stores. I mean, how many, how many of my, you know, I, I, I mean, my, my kids grew up as minorities in the inner city of Des Moines. Uh, we, 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 we get to hear the stories every day from our black friends and neighbors about, you know, I, I had one neighbor who, he would walk home from his job at Mercy Hospital and be stopped just because he was black. It was one in the morning. What are you doing out here? Well, I'm coming home from work. You know, they wouldn't have stopped me if I was out walking at one in the morning. You know, so there's, there's, this, there's this inherent racism that has to be addressed. And I'm, you know, the symbol of protesters kneeling with, the police kneeling with the protesters, that's great. Let's hope that I agree. leads... No, I, I'm, I'm not disputing that. I agree it's, with it's, you. It's, but it's I, do, I, I think, it, why is the relationship of police in this country different? With the citizenry than it is in other European in, in other Europe, you know, European countries. Why is it so adversarial? Now, I mean, well, in one case, in one aspect, I know why. One aspect is because we have 300 million guns out there, and even the most minor interaction can lead to you know a policeman being killed in the United States because everybody's armed. And that happens. So I, that happens. I, I yeah, that's an element of that, you know, but. It, you know, you look at the at the George Floyd case. Four policemen come over a twenty dollar bill that was reportedly counterfeit. Four policemen for a twenty dollar bill, and this man dies. It's just it, it's it's a crazy use of resources, and it, you know, it, and waste it's of part life. of this whole hmm. pattern of incarceration. I mean, we're the most incarcerated country in the world. Yeah. And because of people with nonviolent crimes, usually involving drug possession, being, you know, imprisoned. And there is something just rotten beyond the systematic racism, just about the way our laws are enforced, the way prison is used, and um, the fact that we've, we've generated a group of people who um, don't necessarily feel that they're part of the society anymore. And that, yeah. that is the police. That's why they're... That that is why they live in their own isolated world of their own ethics, you know. Well, and, and this case was just difficult to look away from because there's so much video of it, and because it's it's so unbelievable. And in tandem with this, of course, is the increased militarization of our police force. But you know, that's another mm-hmm. that's a conversation we'll have to save for another day, Charles, because we got to run to a right. short break here. We're going to do that. And uh, folks, uh, Charles Goldman's with us today. Kathy Burns in the studio with me. When we come back, Charles and I are going to switch to a look at at, uh, politics um, and what's going on in Oregon with a very interesting Republican primary, a winner who is a follower of a conspiracy cult. We'll be back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the Lively Cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. 
Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food. Great community. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location and stylish ambiance, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, Scott Smith, Tina Haas Finley, and Nick Leo. Every Wednesday night, you can enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche also offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. If you haven't been to Noche, you haven't experienced the fullness of Des Moines' cultural revival. If you have, we're sure you'll be back. Noche, located on Walnut Street, just south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Thanks to a couple of our local business partners here in Des Moines for making our program possible. Thanks to Hawk Restaurant, that's H-O-Q Hawk Restaurant, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. They are now open again, and you can also, of course, continue to order takeout. That's Hawk Restaurant in Des Moines East Village. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. That's Story County Veterinary Clinic. All right, later in the program, uh, we're going to talk about uh, we're going to we're going to talk about uh, new inventions that are going to render leaf blowers obsolete. And we're also going to talk with uh, Kathy Burns in our gardening segment about what's eating you. Yeah, that might be more more interesting than you think. But for now, uh, Dr. Charles Goldman's with us again, and we're um we're looking at politics, specifically some of the crazy politics of the right, where a candidate, a perennial candidate in Oregon, who's really out there, just managed to overwhelmingly win the U.S. Senate primary for the honor of running against uh, U.S. Senator Jeff Merkley. Uh, that's um Joe Ray Perkins. Charles, uh, I hear this woman, Joe Ray Perkins, is a subscriber to the QAnon, let's call it a cult, which I don't know much about, but the more I'm learning, the more concerned I am. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon, um, especially when you have um, times like these where people feel increasingly powerless to control events around them, um, where you have populism on the rise, um, there's a long-standing tradition in the United States of a, of a very paranoid style of, of politics that oftentimes come up, comes up around it. And when you merge it with the other, uh, you know, great driver on the right, which is the evangelical Christian movement, um, it makes for a, a very strange, you know, uh, very strange brew. Um, and what's, what's interesting is that, uh, it's 
it's sort of in line with the apocalyptic religions that have come out, you know, out of the upstate New York area uh, in the United States. You know, I mean, most of the new religions in the United States have been uh, those that are extremely apocalyptic, make, you know, predictions of when the end of the world's going to come, and then when it doesn't come, they say, oh, we miscalculated. <laughs> so, and then they continue to fundraise. That's correct. Right, and right. So, so QAnon is, um, is a unknown person. Q, thus Q, of people. anonymous Q, uh, really, right? Right, yeah. who, who appears for the most part on that fringe of the Internet that's also populated by a lot of the right, extreme right-wing uh, movements, you know, 4chan, 8chan, and, and that part of the Internet. Um, and the, the first encounter with QAnon was the gentleman who... Um, went and to the Comet Pizzeria in D.C. because he believed that Hillary Clinton was running a, a, a pediatric sex ring. I thought you were going to say a pizza joint. It was a pizza joint, <laughs> and it was, supposedly it was the, the children were being held in the basement, although there was, in fact, no basement in this building. Um, and it's just gone on from there. Basically... Um, QAnon believes that uh, there is a deep state hidden elite that are controlling us and that Q is bringing to the fore uh, the truth about these you know, hidden elites. And, 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 and don't they see... Uh, the, the, the hidden don't, elites always seem to be a, a lot of the same hidden elites that other groups before have used. So, and don't, you know, they see, instance, don't, don't they see Trump yeah. as kind of an element of, uh, of trying to expose this, this deep that's state right. problem? They, that's okay. right. They, they believe Trump, that, that he is in fact draining the swamp and that he is part of what, that what's happening to Trump is because of the deep state. Um, and that, uh, you know, they bring everybody into this. For instance, there's one group in QAnon that believes that John F. Kennedy was assassinated John Kennedy Jr., I'm sorry, who died in a crash off of Martha's Vineyard, was assassinated by Hillary Clinton. There's another group how, contingent. How do they explain that one? They just this is they, they just believe this. I don't I you know I haven't read all the specifics of their you know of the of the coincidences that always come together in most of these conspiracies. Well, if, if Hillary Clinton can pull up Benghazi, surely she can pull up that. Right. But the, there's another contingent that believes that, in fact, that JFK Jr. faked his death and that he's a behind-the-scenes Trump supporter and that he is actually going to be trotted out in the next month or two as his running mate for 2020. Oh, I love that one. So, right. So, you know, and, <laughs> and, and then, you know, that Adam Schiff raped the body of a dead boy who was found in some Chateau Marmont in L.A., uh, they have the usual, you know, the, the usual anti-Semitic element to this, where uh, you know George Soros is always behind every conspiracy. Right. Um, how, how many people? It, how many people are following who actually buy into this? You know, it's impossible to know. I mean, it's sure. kind of, you know, because because it, it it morphs over into other groups, you know, who have similar reasons for believing that Trump is the chosen one. But enough enough, um, enough people buy into it to have. Um, Provided a base of support for Joe Ray Perkins to win a Republican U.S. Senate primary in Oregon. Right. 
Well, I mean, you know, the, the, for instance, uh, most recently, uh, you know, this, this movie Plandemic is coming out. Um, and in, in Plandemic, Judy Mikovits, who it, it does in fact have a Ph.D. in microbiology um, and is pretty much an anti-vaxxer, claimed that Fauci destroyed her career, um, you know, and then that uh, this is all a conspiracy to enrich, you know, people like Fauci and, uh, you know, Bill Gates. And, and uh, you know, the, in fact, in, in Plandemic, Mikovits claims that wearing protective uh, equipment actually increases your risk of getting COVID-19. So it sounds like that movie might give Planet of the Humans a run for its money for movie of the year. Uh, it, absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> another conspiracy theory that makes its rounds on QAnon is that the, um, the 5G radio waves actually are causing what we're mistakenly attributing to the virus because the, <laughs> this, is, this is the entire foundation for this. Um, because they had just put in the 5G in Wuhan right before the outbreak of COVID. So. Now, I, I think there might be some legitimate criticism of 5G technology, but that's, that's going too far. But I want to I get back to this candidate. Uh, she is, I mean, she's not subtle about her following of this conspiracy theory. She's, she's, she's even said things like, um, quote, she says what? Q is most likely military intelligence. And they've been out mm -hmm. there watching what's been going on with our country for decades. And they are partnered with President Trump to stop the corruption and to save our republic. She said that. She also mm -hmm. says that believing in Q Anon is the same as believing in Jesus Christ. It's a matter of faith that transcends proof. So, no, it's absolutely true. Yeah. How did the people... Is, is the Republican Party in Oregon so far gone that she could... She, she, I mean, they, they, they're okay with that? Well, I, 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 guess, I guess they don't have a choice. This is, this is whom they have. And I guess this, they feel that there's an, enough, you know, overlay with the other traditional uh, Trump cultists that, um, you know, that she may be able to, to pull it off. Right, but can't she pull off a victory over Jeff Merkley? I, I mean, I, I think it's highly doubtful. Um, it'll be interesting to see what a lot of these candidates do in terms of how much they bring Trump in and how much, you know, they, you know, they like when DeSantis ran in Florida and he ran that ad with his, you know, his kid spelling out Trump's name with his, his blocks, you know, and stuff like that. <laughs> um, I'm just not sure that, that a, a close embrace of Trump is going to be uh, the most successful strategy to, to win that, that Senate seat. I, I don't think she, I don't think she can beat Merkley, but I. But it, it's interesting to see that that the, the QAnon people have enough, you know, validation right now that it, she's not even running from that. I mean, can you imagine that in the past, if someone had come up and said, "Well, I'm a believer in QAnon," and you started reading the excerpts of these various things they've come up with as conspiracies, people would say, well, you know, this person is clearly not qualified. Well, there, there have been candidates in the past for U.S. Senate and U.S. Congress, uh, president, who have been shot down because of 
far less bizarre connections to, you know, offbeat spiritual practices. Uh, I mean, Harold Hughes got in trouble for, uh, for you know, something to do with ghosts. I don't remember all the details now, but it wasn't even that bizarre. But it was enough back in the 60s and 70s to discredit him. Uh, you know, and uh, yeah, it just seems like there's more tolerance for this, but only in some circles. I, you know, my, my biggest fear about QAnon, from what I know, from what I've learned, is that it can, it can help inspire some people who are already, you know, on the edge to do desperate acts that are violent and destructive, destructive and, and, and potentially, you know, very serious. Well, yes, in, 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 because, again, the, the, people, the people who are, who are most involved in this are, as our president likes to call them, the Second Amendment people. And it's their answer to your saying, well, that's ridiculous, is, well, prove me wrong. You know, because if you, if you make a big lie, you make an outlandish theory, now that the, you know, responsibility falls on you to argue with them and say, well, this is why you're wrong. But, you know, because the theories are so, in, in most cases, off the wall. Yeah. And they almost always come back to revolve around the same people. You know, we, Clinton, Obama, George Soros, <laughs> traditional white nationalism. Right, right. You know, um, so, uh, so Charles, the, just, the you're right. You're right. It, it 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 it's just another way of radicalizing people who would normally not be dangerous. So the the the, 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 the bastion of uh, of intelligent, independent thought is on our side on this, Charles. And I refer to no less than the FBI. Uh, <laughs> the the FBI has uh has has said that QAnon is um a quote conspiracy theory driven domestic extremist. And right. it even described them. It even described them as potential terrorist threats. Right, but don't worry. The president will not be, you know, declaring them to be a terrorist organization the way he did Antifa over the weekend. Right, but he, he, we he, all he, know, he, as has always been the history in this country, in spite of the fact that more people are killed by the, you know, heinous acts of right wingers, um, like Timothy McVeigh and, you know, others. Uh, it's always the left wing that is the terrorist organization, yeah. and that's that's gone on for fifty plus years. You know, it, it, again, we've talked about this before. The oddity that we are such great champions of the FBI, given their history, you know, from the sixties onward, in terms of, you know, <laughs> or even the fifties onward. Right. Um, it is. It's an odd time, but no, I mean, I. I, I the the problem is that the QAnon is like it's like another religion. It's it's a piece of faith, and it's very right. hard to talk people out of something they have faith in. But mm -hmm. it is also a reflection of people who are scared, who people who are and and that can't look any any better now, you know, in terms of of what's coming next than right. than the COVID. And I understand I understand that completely. I understand people being scared, being worried, looking for something to hang on to. Uh, but I would just uh, advise you folks, if you're listening, it's not QAnon. Trust the FBI on this one, okay? Hey, Charles, right. we got we got to run to a short break here, but uh, you're going to be able to stick with us, I believe. We'll be back in a couple minutes, folks. We're going to talk about uh, a new invention that might render the leaf blower obsolete. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. When it's time to entertain, think of Gateway Market to handle all the details. Gateway offers a wide variety of stress-free options 
like cut-to-order cheese and charcuterie, a delicious olive bar, and a wide variety of chef-prepared dips and spreads, or let Gateway's catering team take care of the entire event, right down to the wine and beer pairings. Gateway's expert floral designers can even customize the perfect centerpieces. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more information. Gateway Market, good food, great entertaining. Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Uh, thanks to our nonprofit partners who helped make this program possible. Thanks to Bold Iowa, uh, fighting climate change and the Dakota Access Pipeline since 2015. That's boldiowa.com. Thanks also to Birds and Bees Urban Farm, where you can learn how to turn your yard into dinner. That's birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. All right, welcome back to the program. So before we talk about these new in inventions that will eliminate the need for carbon spewing leaf blowers, Charles, uh, I was intrigued by this five-year-old boy who um, stole the keys to his parents' car while his sister, who was supposed to be watching him, took a nap. He, he stole mm -hmm. the keys. Uh, yeah, he had three bucks on him. And um, with that, he was going to go buy a Lamborghini. Well, I don't. Even, I, I didn't even know what a Lamborghini was until I was in my thirties, maybe forties. I don't know. But um, and well, I don't. Well, I understand. Yeah, he's a, a kid in Utah who was going to drive to California to buy a Lamborghini, um, and he evidently is just you know spends ninety percent of his time watching videos of Lamborghinis. Right, and he and he and he claimed that his parents were cruel for not letting him have one. So dang it, he was going to go get one himself. Right. And, right. And, and he made it three miles before getting stopped. Well, I mean, can you imagine a five-year-old driving on the interstate? It's, it's unbelievable. I mean, the the um, the, uh, the the video is pretty. I mean, he's weaving all over the road, but the fact that yeah. he's driving at all is just incredible. Yeah, he could barely reach the the pedals, and um, it was pretty. Yeah, it was pretty impressive. And then you know, but this isn't this isn't really a story like some of the other ones where you know. This is some like uh, you know child of of, of affluent you know parents who uh, you know was pissed because he didn't get what he wanted. He's always entitled to right. you know, and he's, he's just a five year old watching you know too many videos. Right. And so anyway, evidently somebody drove down from like a hundred miles away in Utah, brought his Lamborghini, and um, uh, took him around. But he's now gotten an offer from a dealer in California who they're going to bring him out there and they're going to let him drive under supervision, obviously. Um, probably on the 405, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. So, but but did, weren't they also saying they were going to give him a Lamborghini? No, they're, no? they're not going to give him the Lamborghini. Okay. They, they just let him drive it. Probably drive it on so, a so they're gonna Basically, they're going to reward bad they're, they're going to reward 
uh, stealing, uh, driving without a license, driving recklessly. <laughs> They're going to reward all these bad behaviors by giving him what he wants. Well, didn't did, did you put together some list of things that, that this made you think about? Or I that, gave it. Uh, I gave up on it. <laughs> it was, yeah, just, gave up it on was too too bizarre of a story. Just oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I mean, but there clearly this is very from what I could tell from the the news coverage. I mean, you know, uh, a working class family, and now he's. Uh, oh, in fact, this is a good segue into the next segment. Um, he was out there raking his yard. Okay. So, that's one of the implements that you could use instead of a leaf blower. Well, you're exactly right. Those are the new inventions <laughs> I'm talking about. People are so, you know, I, I remember years ago, you know, you would see the occasional leaf blower. And I'm not even sure why they're called, what they're called anymore, because they're used for all sorts of things beyond leaves. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and well, humans are a resourceful lot. The what? I said humans are a resourceful lot. Right. We're also a lazy <laughs> lot. <laughs> I mean, I, I know that when your goal is to work fast and do as many properties as possible, you've got this lawn care service, you want to just get through it. But, I mean, those those machines are, so, first of all, they're so loud. They're just obnoxious how loud they are. But they, they, they do, they burn fossil fuels to do something that you can do with these two fancy new inventions. One of them is the rake. The other is the push broom. You know, mm-hmm. these things work really, really well. And I don't, I, I, for the life of me, I cannot understand the appeal. I mean, I used to do landscaping for a living with a very conventional company. And we use rakes and brooms. And we got things done. Yeah. You know, not, in not much less time than it would take to use a leaf blower. Anyway, I, I, I just Well, think, I mean, and, and the amount of, the amount of, um, of pollution that comes out of, these two two cycle engines, yeah. you know, and we're talking also about snowblowers, right? You know, lawn mowers. I mean, it's it, it extraordinarily wasteful and just alarming compared to a car. How much you know uh, CO two and other pollutants come out of you know these these machines? Which you're right, um, and all. You know, no one ever questions what exactly is the point. It, you know, this comes from the English manor houses that, you know, people want these huge lawns around their house. You know, and, I mean, you you go see how they build suburban developments, and they, they, they basically cut everything down to make it easier to put these homes in place, and then they put the trees back, you know, and... Put all this lawn. Well, or yeah, um, or, or they or they put very few trees back, and you have a lawn that's as, that's big enough to pasture a herd of goats. Right, or and they're putting in like Kentucky bluegrass in places that it doesn't belong there. You know, I mean, if they ever dig up Phoenix, you know, in some archaeologic dig of the future, they're going to wonder what is this grass doing here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, right, right. What, what is this about? Yeah. But, I mean, these are. The, these are the kinds of things we do. You know, I, I, it, it, it's always easier to do that which is, is showier, you know, to, to, do, to recycle, you know, and, and push, push the biggest of the recycling bins out, you know, to your, to your uh, street and, and have it full up with stuff. Um, but then we turn around and do crazy stuff like this. Well, what bothers me most is that people, more and more people, most people now understand that we have a climate change problem. And they understand 
that science, even those who've been kind of late to the game, I, I know there's still a, a d denier crowd out there. It's a, it's a shrinking population, but even people who understand that this is a problem continue to use these two cycle engines when again, there are reasonable alternatives uh, continue to use a dryer to dry their, and I, and I know that I, again, I'm in a minority on this, but I will point out that, and there's, there's statistics on this, that the, um, the domestic uh, output of carbon dioxide, 6% of that comes from dryers. Dryers are extremely uh, energy uh, consumptive. And we now, have, where'd you get that? Where did you find that statistic? Uh, I'd have to look it up for you. It's in, it's in my, it's in the, it's in the book, Marcher Walker Pilgrim. It's the, uh, I I, uh, I discovered it when well I, it, it couldn't have been on a page in which I'm mentioned because <laughs> those are the only pages you read right <laughs> <laughs> well if you care about the Amish you'd read that chapter as well because that's right got got inspired to dig into that a bit because you know mm -hmm. you you walk through it took us two days to walk through the Amish country in northern Indiana and nearly every family you know had their laundry out to drive it was, it was a, there was two days of beautiful weather and their laundry's yeah. out and. Why is that not a not just not just a beautiful thing, but but um, but something to be encouraged? And yet there are all these homeowners associations all across the country, thousands of them that don't even allow that wouldn't even allow you to hang clothing outside. You know. Well, you and, know, it's interesting though. But here, you know, there you, you're you're sort of you know traipsing into a very important cultural phenomenon because the advent of the washing machine first, and then ultimately the dryer was probably the thing that freed up women more than anything else, that domestic task alone, to get into the workplace and to be out in society and, and compete with more available time. Right. Um, but, 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 but I, the historian said that the washing machine, he felt, was the most important invention. Okay, of the so I, and I'm going to make a distinction between the washing machine and the dryer. Washing machines, yeah, those save a heck of a lot of time, and they use less energy, especially the more um, the more contemporary ones that are designed with efficiency. But a dryer, there's nothing you can do with a dryer that you can't do with a clothesline and a drying rack. Yes, there's a little more time involved, but not that much. And the now, what, what do you do during the winter? A drying rack, and, and a drying rack is a great device because not only do you you know get to dry your clothes uh, inside. But that humidity from the heat, you know, hitting your wet clothes adds some element of comfort to your to your home. You know, it's and a how, how large a wardrobe can air drying sustain? Uh, well, I, I guess maybe I'm not an average person in terms of the size of my wardrobe, but um, but uh, I would say that you can pretty much do whatever you want. I mean, we yeah. have a, we have a we have one Kathy and I one drying rack accommodates all of our clothing in a load of laundry. We have a backup one if we need it. Um, you know, it's the, some of these things are merely a matter of forming the right habit, uh, mm -hmm. and you know, there's, there's not a lot of inconvenience involved. And I tell you, and, and Kathy would vouch for this too. We both really enjoy hanging clothes on a line outside on a beautiful sunny morning. Uh, so you know, I, I, I guess I'm saying this is an example to me. Uh, leaf blowers are an example. Uh, mm -hmm. But they. Are... Well, hey, I'll give you. An, I'll give you another example. Okay. Twenty percent of the electricity a refrigerator uses goes to the ice maker. Oh, good. And Great example. In, yes. Yeah, and here you can just go buy those those little plastic, you know, those little plastic uh, ice cube makers, fill them up with water, stick them in your freezer. Hey, you got ice cubes. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, th these are things that have just snuck their way 
into, as you say, I think that's a good way of putting it. They've become force of habit. Right, and if people, I mean, people, the, 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 what bothers me is that people who understand our climate problem still make these choices. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to be too judgmental, but I'm saying, look, think more deeply about what you're doing. Think about this. You know, you know change, change the way you're doing this so that you can be more, that, that your life can be more a part of the solution. It can be that change you want to see in the world, to paraphrase someone of historic frame. <laughs> right. I'd say Gandhi, but Kathy would correct me and say, no, it's not actually Gandhi who said that. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it is either. It wasn't. But I, I mean, I... I think so it was I, somebody who was in the SDS during the 60s. <laughs> it might have been, yes. <laughs> or it might have been somebody involved with QAnon. I don't know. <laughs> no, definitely not QAnon. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Be afraid of the change you don't wish to see in the world. Yeah, no. Um, uh, yeah. So anyway, we've got you know we've got all these things we could do to to uh, you know I, I, again I know I know plenty of really progressive people who get climate change who drive huge SUVs. Um, they drive pickup trucks when they aren't hauling anything. You know, uh, mm -hmm. I, I, it's my, my frustration is how do you convey to people that hey you know you get this, so take the next step, take the leap. You know, get rid of that dryer. You know, don't make ice when you can just get a little tray and make ice cubes. Uh, you know, don't use a leaf blower when you can grab a rake and get a nice workout with it as well. You know, I, I, don't know, I don't know how to convey the urgency of that to people who understand the problem, but don't take the next step. So, Doctor, I'm, well, leaving, I'm leaving it up to you. It, 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 that's right. It's up to me. Well, you know, it, it's funny because our, our parents who grew up in, a, in the Depression era, um, you know, we always, you make fun of them, you know, why don't you turn that light off, you know, and, but that's, that was their, their natural inclination from their experience of, of scarcity, you know, and we've not until recently, for the most part in this country, experienced scarcity, although I, I hesitate to say that because we know in point of fact that there is plenty of scarcity in this country. Right, yeah. I mean, you know, that's why there's food stamps and, yes. you know, that there's an inordinate number of children in this country who go to, go to bed hungry. Right. And that, um, but it's, it's not, it, it's just not as visible. Yeah. You know, the poverty is in this country and scarcity are hidden away to, um, to some degree. Yeah. Well, but, Charles, um, thanks for joining us today. we got to, we got to take a short break here before we come back and talk about another, uh, Another element of the solution to our climate problem, raising one's own food. And we're going to talk about specifically what kinds of, uh, what kind of things you got to be aware of in terms of uh, creatures that want to eat your food. Uh, thanks uh, again. Thanks for joining us, Charles. Folks, we've been talking with Charles Goldman, uh, always a font of wisdom. Yeah, it was good talking with you. <laughs> All right, Charles, you take care. All right. We'll be back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the lively cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. It's important to know where your food comes from 
at Hawk Restaurant that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. Located at East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open for lunch and supper Monday through Saturday. From May through October, you'll also find Hawk at the Downtown Farmer's Market serving fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at hawktable.com. That's H-O-Q table.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Thanks to our local business partners, including Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's my grocery store and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. They've got a takeout service, so don't let the fact that the cafe is closed stop you. Give them a shout, folks. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Thanks also to Ritual Cafe on 13th Street, Fair Trade Coffee, Fair Trade Tea, and an all-vegetarian menu. Again, closed but still open through takeout. That's Ritual Cafe. All right, thanks uh, again for tuning in to today's program. With me for this final segment, The Home Stretch, is Kathy Burns as we talk about what's eating you. So, Kathy, what's, uh, what's eating you? Well, it's what's eating me, what's bugging me. It's a bunch of things. Um, here at Birds and Bees Urban Farm, uh, we're, we're working hard to grow our own food, of course, and we're teaching other people to grow their food. So we're fielding a lot of questions, both personally to us as a, a, you know educators and mentors in um, gardening, and also there's a, there's a website or a Facebook page where we kind of do that. There's so, a bunch of them out there. There's yeah. more and more interest of, in, in, in growing one's own food which means there ought to be a lot of interest in how to protect your food from what wants to eat it. Besides some of the neighbor kids every once in a while. Yeah. Okay, we'll I, you know, one problem we don't have here in Des Moines, well, some parts of Des Moines do have this problem. We don't. Deer. Uh, I have seen people with deer problems build fences that are eight feet tall, and that's. it looks like they're trying to keep uh, the, the T-Rex from Jurassic Park out of there, but... That's not unreasonable. If you've got a deer problem, you want a really tall fence. Like Stephen Carey's garden. Our friends who have a, a garden, it's out in the country, though. Yeah. They've got a very tall fence. And a lot of deer. And then they've got a shorter um, chicken wire kind of fence for the rabbits. Are they even going to electrify that fence around the perimeter <laughs> at some that, point? I don't know what the electric it's charge is for. But, but the, um, you know, uh, one, one question that people have is, uh, here it is, uh, every single year I lose my tomatoes to early blight. What can I do to prevent and effectively control it? I'd say it's, it's really a matter of prevention. Uh, I mean, you, you can, yeah, you can always try to attack early blight or any blight with, with a, a copper sulfate mix, some kind of fungicide. But, um, you know, getting, I, I find it really helps to start to, to plant a plant that's, that's big and strong already. I mean, it doesn't have to be three feet tall, but if it's six inches to, you know, at least six inches tall, maybe mm-hmm. eight inches mm-hmm. tall, it's, it's a healthier, stronger plant. It's not going to be ravaged by birds or, or other, you know, predators, and it'll be, you know, better able to withstand blight and get mulch around it. Mm-hmm. Really important. Well, I'm going to back up just a little bit. The soil that you plant it in is mm. your first step. And uh, to not plant it where you planted your tomatoes the previous year or two years or three years, we've heard some stories like that. I've always planted my tomatoes, this, and this year they won't grow here. Well, that's because blight lives in the soil, and the plants get that blight from the soil, and that's where Ed was going with the mulch idea. Yeah. Now, some people are very particular about um, the hardware that surrounds their plants, I haven't been, 
we probably should be. For example, your cages, some people will, will, will bleach down their cages so that if there's any blight left on the cage from the previous year, that won't get into the plant. Uh, you know, we, we use ties for some. We, we cage a lot of our tomatoes, which again, don't need ties, but if you're using a stake or a fence, you might need some kind of a tie. If that tie is just, you know, saved from last year, which is good to save it and reuse it, mm -hmm. but it might be tracking some blight onto mm -hmm. this year's crop. So, you know, again, I, I'm not that meticulous sometimes because I just don't have the time, but mm -hmm. it's not a bad thing to do if you're having, especially early blight, if you're having that problem, try to make sure those things are, are cleaned up we're also, disinfected. also meticulous about not putting our tomato refuse into the compost, especially if they've shown signs, signs of blight, because the, the blight can actually live in the compost even through the cooking process and the seasoning process. You're not supposed to, but put the blighted foliage of the, of the tomato plants into your garbage put and let it, it go to the landfill. Put it where it's not <laughs> going to go into your compost. Yeah, or your neighbor's compost or <laughs> your neighbor's plots, you know. So again, I, I, I think... The best prevention of, of, of blight overall, and early blight certainly, is to try to make sure you're, you know, like you said, the soil is, is, is good. Uh, it's a different location than the previous year. You've got a nice strong plant to start with, and you've mulched around it. And again, it doesn't hurt to give that uh, plant a jump start with some blood meal or fish emulsion. I, I have a friend who used to, she had monster tomatoes, and she insisted that her secret was she would put a dead fish in the hole before she would plant the tomato. <laughs> I've done that. I've done that in years past when I used to do more fishing at a local farm pond. And, and this isn't a bad idea because, you know, in Iowa, the law is that if you catch a carp, you are legally, you're, you're not allowed by law to throw it back in. You have, to, you have to let it perish on the bank of the river. Or if you're smart, take it home and put it under a tomato plant. That's a, chopped up. <laughs> A carp is big. I think one carp well, under a tomato plant. The bigger the carp, the bigger the tomato plant, right? Yes. One more thing <laughs> is as that tomato plant grows and it gets a few inches off, you know, the leaves are off the ground, um, clip those leaves close oh, to right. close to the uh, stalk of it, close to the stem, not into the stem, so you don't want to hurt that stem, but close to the edge of the stem so that the leaves do not drape onto the ground or touch the ground. Yeah, and tomato foliage tends to want to, you know, droop down. And so, you know, it's graceful. You, 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 want, you, want to, you want to let it get a little bit of strength before you, you know, give it a couple of weeks of life in the new location. But yeah, then you want to prune that that stem that uh, that branch right as close to the um stem as possible any br any any um any branch that's within six inches of the ground i'd say again if you've got mulch around it that's going to minimize the splash from the soil but there's still it might come off from the side it might drag in the soil and also those suckers mm -hmm. you know when you, you've got your tomato stock um well you your tomato stock you got your you're out your outside you know formation is your leaf for photosynthesis and in the middle is that sucker and there's it's a sucker the born every up. minute. <laughs> well, on a tomato plant, it might it looked that way. They grow so fast. Yeah, it shoots sort of up more diagonally than right. than the leaf itself. And it'll become a new fruiting stalk. And you know, when for tomatoes in cages, I don't care so much. If I have if I have suckers going off this way and that way, it doesn't bother me. That's that's not a bad thing to have. But if you're trying to stake them and you're really trying to create a nice, straight, uh, manageable, um, you know, tomato plant. You, if you have a lot of suckers going off, it's going to be really hard to manage that. So, uh, you know, it's kind of a, you ask five different uh, farmers and gardeners, you know, get five different opinions or maybe 10. But 
I tend to let I tend to be more meticulous about pruning out the suckers if we're growing them on a stake. Mm -hmm. But that has less to do with with blight okay. and more to do with um. So what what now, else is one it? thing that's that's eating our plants sometimes blight. What's next? Well, some people were complaining about snakes in their sheds. Um, and you know, actually, you want snakes in your garden. You do. And they will eat your earthworms, which is unfortunate. But mm -hmm. there's usually there's so many earthworms. I mean, if your if your soil is healthy, you should have a lot of earthworms. But you know, I mean, snakes are great. They'll, the, they'll keep the rodent population down. So somehow get them out of your shed and into your garden. We're talking about garter snakes yeah. pr primarily. No pythons, not pythons. <laughs> My brother kept snakes when I was a kid and uh, you know, various kinds of snakes. And they, they weren't the kind we were going to put in the garden. Right. Just so you know. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> right, Pat? <laughs> Flea beetles. Um, little tiny black flecks of a bug that... Um, and you, you'll know they're flea beetles because when you get your finger, they're not too fast. You can kind of go up to them, and then when you get really close, they ping. They, what, what do they do? Ping. They, sounds they, like that Monty Python Yes, movie, it does, doesn't the it? Little so they'll, they'll just ding. totally zap out. They'll, they're gone in no time. They'll end up on another planet, in yes. fact. They're so, no, well, maybe not another planet, but probably plant. another plant. plant. There yes. we go. And they really like eggplant. Eggplant is their, their food of choice. They love eggplant. I do too. Yeah, well, maybe you're a flea I, beetle in a past life. <laughs> I want to eat the eggplant. I don't want the flea beetles to eat the eggplant. And they will decimate the foliage. You'll have lace work. Um, and my favorite way of dealing with controlling uh, 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 flea beetles, and I've done this even when I've had a dozen or 14 or more plants, go out there and just squish them. Just come on, buck up, be brave. Go out there and squish them. You know, and you got to move a little fast, so it's kind of there's a there's a sporting element to it if you're that kind of person. But you got to kind of move fast, and then you know, squish so them. instead of sitting inside playing some online game, yeah, you can go squish the flea beetle game. You can but you call can it also super squisher game. Yeah, or and and if you start early enough, you know, you can keep ahead of it. It's when they start breeding and getting out of control that you lose the ability to control them with with that method. But you know, if if they get out of control, then You've got to take take well, it to the next level. And I don't know. You know, I would experiment with different things. The cheapest thing to experiment with is insecticidal soap, which you can make at home. Um, go online. Look up a recipe. Insecticidal soap. That's one idea. Um, diatomaceous earth is another possibility for flea beetles. Um, and Captain Jack's dead bug is something else we've used. These are all organic. Yeah, all, all organic. Not everybody knows what diatomaceous earth is. And when I learned, I was fascinated. It's really, really finely ground seashell of some kind that... that the, well, the, it's, and I, I don't uh, know if it's right, you know. I don't know if it's that effective on flea beetles. Um, maybe I, I, more so on the on worms. Yeah. On, Very on, effective on, on worms. On Korea. Those, those are... Okay, so the little white butterflies... Okay, now we're now we're going to go to the next thing. What's eating you? Your, yeah, what's eating your cabbage? Moth, moth, uh, moth. What are they called? Mothra. <laughs> no, no, that's a giant creature there's that Godzilla a, battled. There's a cabbage moth, cabbage and moth. the the larva of that is called a, a cabbage loper. It kind of it eats your cabbage leaf, and other yeah, the leaves. moth lays the eggs, and then the eggs hatch, and then then and the the hatchlings do the damage. You know, and um, and the get a butterfly net. And when you see those little white moths flopping around your garden, catch them and kill them. Kathy and I have an annual competition. Who's going to catch and squash the most cabbage moths? I think I'm winning three to two. You are. And you've caught, <laughs> you've caught cabbage moths with your hat. <laughs> well, it's a nice wide Irish cap, you know. And, but, um, yeah, the, uh, so if you can catch a cabbage moth, you'll do away with the risk of there being 
eggs that hatch into lots of cabbage lopers. But mm-hmm. my my second my second line of defense is to go out there and and just uh, you have usually you'll see them on the back sides of your cabbage leaves. You might see them on broccoli, collards, mm-hmm. any brassica family member, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower. But if you um, you know, you flip over the back side of that leaf, and again, check the front as well, especially a leaf that has a little bit of holes, some, some holes forming on it, you might find those lopers. And then you're just going to go, ping. No, no, that's just, no. <laughs> you know, you go, whoosh, 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 whoosh. Yeah, you just squish them. Or in our case, we take them and we feed them to our chickens, and the chickens are extremely grateful. If you have chickens, they, they it'll be a good us. day for them. Yeah. So, but again, you know, you don't want to get to the point where it's an infestation. So keep ahead of it. Now, the diatomaceous earth will definitely take out your cabbage loper problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They they will die horrible deaths. They, it would be much more humane to feed them to your chickens if you can pull that off. Or feed them to your neighbor's chickens. Or feed them to your neighbors if you don't like your neighbors. <laughs> okay, so we have a little time left for squash. And this doesn't involve squashing any... Well, it does involve... <laughs> it could. It could involve squashing bugs. I don't that, really enjoy squashing things. It's just kind of a good way to deal with the problem. You know? I I have my meditation time in the summer every other day or so when I go out and check all the leaves on a squash for squash bug eggs. And they're on the back side of the leaf, and they're usually between the two little veins, and they, they're beautiful. They look like little <laughs> dots of copper. And you gotta you gotta scrape those off, and you do have to squish them, and and keep the squash bugs off your leaves. And if the squash bugs ha- bugs hatch, you'll see little kind of crazy little creepy little creatures. They're they're yeah. they go like this. So, I did a sound effect. And vine borers, uh, good way to prim vine borers, a little tin foil around the very base of the stem of your squash or your when zucchini. It's young. That works pretty well for us too. <laughs> oh, we can talk more and more about this stuff, and until uh, we are blue in the face, or until our plants are big and healthy, and we start to eat them. So. Well, um, well uh, thanks for joining the Fallon Forum today, folks. Kathy Burns with uh, Birds and Bees Urban Farm, my guest. Thanks to our production team, which does include Kathy and also Sherry Herdina. Uh, thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to our stations around the state and the nation that rebroadcast this program. Check it out on FallonForum.com. We'll be back next week with more great talk radio.